Hi, my name is Anja Karwowska and I'm the host of this amazing podcast, Get Unstuck with Your English. If you are a neurodivergent person, struggling with learning the language, tend to procrastinate too much, or maybe you have so many goals you get lost right over bed, if you answered yes to any of these questions, you have come to the right place, my friend. I'll teach you how to apply cognitive science and evidence-based methods to your learning. I will walk you through the learning plateau. If you're scared to talk, the vocabulary evaporates your mind. You have been studying for ages, following shiny objects, binge-watching Netflix, hoping that the knowledge will cross your head first Moses. If so, I'm here to help you. I'll show you how to study and tackle the language, and most importantly, how to make it stick. I'm inviting you on the journey with me. Let's add a science sprinkle to your learning. wherever and whenever you're listening to me maybe it's morning maybe it's afternoon or evening today's episode will be very interesting and i know it will be polarizing and that's why i'm making this specific episode because i do think it's really important today we'll talk about the myths in education I know that many teachers may wonder why I'm making this episode. I think it's very important because teaching is science. It's not a social science, it's science. So that's why whenever whenever we're making any claim, right, it should be based on research, as Professor Lina Eri said, not on proclamation. So either we have the proof, we have the data, or we don't have the data. So let me start off with a very, I find it really interesting that some myths are so deeply rooted in education and they just keep resurfacing from time to time. So, learning styles. I'm sure you must have heard it because it's been probably on and in the news for like a year or so, but the myth has been busted like 15 or 14 years ago. Anyhow, you're not a visual learner. You're not an auditory learner. You're not a kinesthetic learner. There's no such thing as learning myths. There's no solid information supporting that theory. So we are not learning visually or we're not learning while we're moving. It doesn't mean that you're not learning at a specific time, but learning myths do not exist. So the solution is not the so-called learning styles, but rather nature of the task. So we have to evaluate the information we need to learn and then decide what methodology we have to apply. But again, it has to be rooted in science. And if you're interested, or you would like to dig in further, in my episode description, I am attaching references. And the first reference is an amazing book by Daniel Wingham. Sorry, not a book. I'm thinking faster than I speak, a research paper by Daniel Willingham and it's called Learning Styles Do Not Exist. And if you're wondering why I said the book, it's because I'm also recommending, I also add a description in my bio, I'm recommending a fantastic book by Professor Daniel Willingham and the book is called When Can You Trust the Experts? How to Tell Good Science from Bad in Education. I think it's really important for teachers but also for, also for parents and for students to be able to practice the own discernment and differentiate good from bad. So I highly recommend that book. It's packed with value. It's really easy to read. It's not very scientific. If you worry that you may not be able to understand it, I will also add the book description in my bio. And I truly and I highly recommend that book. Kids' brains are like sponges, right? You've heard it so many times. 
Kids' brains are like sponges. But what about us adults? As we get older, are we less spongy-like or more? So there is that myth that when you get older, it is also connected with the language acquisition device that was proclaimed by Krushen and Chomsky, etc. Is that there is a time in your life when you're young and then the door closes and no, you're not able to learn language proficiently. This is not true. And that's why I'm talking about brain plasticity. Brain plasticity is an amazing, amazing feature. And because of the brain plasticity, we are able to learn language proficiently. We are able to make memories. Yes, we, as we get older, we will have problems with focus and attention. But again, science may help you. So if we work on our brain, if we practice retrieval, then we practice that muscle, sorry, train that muscle. And that way, brain plasticity serves us right. You do not have to worry that you're too old to learn a language. Take it from me. I've worked with my wonderful seniors. I'm waving it to you, my wonderful CLB45 group. So I've worked with my wonderful seniors who are in the 70s and they are smashing it. Really. So if they can do it, you can too. There's no research supporting the claim that you cannot learn language proficiently if you're an adult or if you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, etc. Yes, there are some obstacles, but there always are obstacles. But yes, you are able to do it, you can do it, and it's because of brain plasticity. And let me tell you why. So why, when you're learning a language and you're an older person, why you have that advantage? One is brain plasticity, but the other is that you have lots of background knowledge. As you live, as life goes by, you've learned lots of things. Maybe you do not even realize that you are such an expert in many fields. Very often, you've learned other languages, so you can make connotations, you can compare, right? That's a massive, massive thing. That's why do not condone yourself. Do not tell yourself, oh, I can't do it because I'm too old. No, you're not too old. And look at your brain. Brain plasticity, think about this and just keep going because you can do it. So kids' brains are like sponges, true that, but adults can learn too. So that's another myth. Left, right brain debate, right? We've had that, oh, that's the analytical part. Oh, that's the creative part. So actually, the belief that there are left brain dominant people and in contrast to those right brain dominant people who are more creative thinkers. So according to the Smith, people are first in technical sciences, but they cannot excel in creativity and vice versa. However, the research has proven it is not true and neuroimagining data did not provide any clear evidence whether such phenotypic differences exist. So no, this is not true. In reality, some tasks require more resources from one hemisphere, whereas others require some resources from the right hemisphere. So no, it is not true. You're not a left or right brain thinker. And my favorite of all myths, and I think it's my favorite because it's so prevalent in education. So the kernel of experience called AKA or ACA, correct me if I'm wrong, learning pyramid. So there is that idea. I know Edgar Dale uh, started it, he was a specialist out in audiovisual learning, he called it a cone of experience in the demonstrated channels of imparting information, but it had nothing to do with acquisition or retention and it was just a theoretical model. So in his learning pyramid it was reading material, 10% retention, 
listening 20, looking at slides 30, watching a movie 50, participating in discussion 70, teaching others or practicing 90. So what's wrong with that? So the research explains that the retention percentages cannot be scientifically proven because it's more complicated. As we know, life is complicated and science, educational science may be a little bit complicated and it's not so obvious. So there are many variables that come to play. So we have the nature of materials is being recalled, the gap between studying sessions, as you remember, or you might have been even listening to me when I was talking about spacing out your practice versus cramming, the age of learners, the basic knowledge, right? Background knowledge, something I have talked about a second ago, the nature of the text, test, Text, so not test. I was talking about test, test taking. So now, it is not supported by science, and there is no evidence supporting that myth. So what can we do about that? So we know that the best way to study material is to move the information from passive to active memory. That's why retrieval. That's why spacing. That's why metacognition and interleaving are so important. And yes. Probably you have heard me talking about it a zillion times, but truth be told, students have, have lots of passive knowledge. They have no tons of grammar. They can do tests, but they cannot speak and they struggle with writing. And this is because they have passive knowledge that did not move or was not activated and it's not activated, so it's not being used. So that's why I have been talking about retrieval for so long because that's one of the processes, that's, that's the technique, not the process. It has, to, it has to be practiced for you to be able to ace your, not only receptive skills, but also productive skills. And productive skills, speaking and writing, exactly. So now let's move on to another myth. 10,000 rule. I'm sure you have seen memes or even videos saying it takes 10,000 hours to carry a baby, we just spent 10,000 hours playing and Bill Gates put 10,000 hours in practicing programming before he founded Microsoft, right? So the idea is very catchy because we like, we like catchy concepts, but it's entirely debatable because there's no substantial evidence. And secondly, Gladwell misunderstood the case of the Music Academy because 10,000 hours was the average. So half 50% of the students spent 10,000 hours practicing and 50% of the students spent less than 10,000 hours practicing. So that's another misbusted. You're welcome. So with learning pyramid, the idea is based on false generalizations and misunderstandings. So what we know? We know that quality matters. I have been talking about it for so long, but you probably remember when I said, do not cram, right? Space out your practice, that's one. Secondly, practice must be perfect, yes, but there are other components. Genetics, right? Age, how you practice. So do not get fixated on those 10,000 hours. You cannot get unstuck with your English faster. Really, you do not need 10,000 hours, but then you have to approach your learning differently and apply science power tools and you will see an absolute difference in your learning. So now let me move on to another myth. And I think it's one of my favorite. English, Spanish is close to optimal. 
I know you heard it probably and Chomsky made that claim. Now we know that English spelling is not close to optimal and again I'm referencing a very good study from a journal of computational linguistics from University of Alberta. It's fascinating. So no, English spelling is not close to optimal. So let me explain why. Right? Very often students struggle and they say all oh, English language is weird. It's not weird. Yeah, I know it's more complex. You remember that I have been talking about it and I said that English orthography is 40 times more complex than Germans and 400 times more complex than Spanish and Italian, right? Roman, Roman sorry, languages based on Latin. So why is that? If you look at the English language, right, and we look at its complexities, we see that the spelling is different, but why? If you listen to my episode about structured web inquiry, you will notice that the English language is like a cake. I know I've said it several times, but I think it's a very good description of the language. So we have the etymological layer, so the origin of words, right? We have the morphological layer, so we have prefixes, suffixes, roots, we have connecting vowels called infixes in some other languages, right? And we have the phonological layer. So English language, as you may know or may not, is a Germanic language. So no, it has not, it's, it's not like connected to French. Well, it is, but it's, it's not it did not originate from French. So why we have some French words in English, right? So we have it because, because of the Normans, in Normans and because of the Norman invasion. So we had language words, sorry, not language, travels to language. So we have words that entered English from French. We have words that entered English from Latin. We have words that entered English from Greek. We have Greek words that were transcribed into Latin. Then they traveled to French and then they traveled to English. So that's why English spelling may be challenging for you. And no, it's not close to optimal. If you want to find out more, dive into the research paper. It's truly amazing and fascinating. I really highly recommend it. Another myth, and I think I, I, that myth actually, uh, I picked it especially for language teachers and early education teachers. So reading. Reading is not natural. I don't know how many times it has been stated. If it still did not get across, get it, like stick it, or I don't make a post note when you have just joking, but it's not a natural process. So that actually is connected to Krashen and his theory that reading is a natural process such as such as speaking. It is not. There is a tons of research and I will add it in my reference in the episode description. So Krashen's idea was closely connected to whole language, which is we learn to read how we learn to speak. Not true, you can read the book Reading in the Brain by French neuroscientist Stanislas Dienne or other resources that I will post in the episode description. It's not natural, that's why you need to crack the code. And I think it's especially important for early education teachers, especially if they are working with ESL students, do not assume that because they speak and they pick up the language quickly, they will absolutely learn to really crack the code very easily. So that's why you need to teach your students the code especially that as we know English vowels are the pronunciation is different from other languages which is obvious and you need to teach your students foundation. I will uh, add in the episode description a link to Scarborough's rope. It's like a visual image of how the reading 
takes place, what are the five components of reading. So take a look at that. And no, reading is not a natural process. So we need to crack the code, we need to learn it. Now, evolutionary, it's new to us. I know you may find it different, or do not believe me, read the research that I attach. Dyslexia fonts, probably my favorite, wherever I look, whatever I do, dyslexia fonts keeps emerging from time to time. So no, there is no research supporting dyslexia fonts. Actually, there's a very good log by Professor Timothy Shanahan when he talks and he says, teach the kids to read. So no, there's no specific font that will teach dyslexic students to read or is helpful to dyslexic person. So some people choose some fonts over others, even dyslexics do that, but that's the preference that is personal and it's not rooted in science. Again, I am attaching references and research papers. You can read on that. As I said, do not believe me, do not trust me, trust no one. I know it sounds paranoid, but let's say practice your own discernment. Learn to read research and make your own informed science-based choices. Another myth, which is connected to brain plasticity. I know this episode is a little bit long. I promise the next one will be shorter. LAD, LAD known as language acquisition device. So myth, one cannot master the language past the puberty. It's difficult to accept the idea of fully operational language acquisition device in adults since past puberty. Crushing assumed that young learners are better than adolescents because they are less affected by linguistic monitors. However, McLaughlin stated that children and adolescents and adults are equally capable of editing. And neuroscience research does not support his claims. So, as I said with brain plasticity, you can learn a language no matter how old you are. And if you are listening to this message, that means that you have listened to my podcast. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And thank you for all the DMs and questions. I'm really happy and I, that I can share my knowledge with you. I wanted to end this episode with a quote from Kirshner and Hendry, How Learning Happens. And they wrote, an attempt to do this, which ignores the cognitive architecture of the brain, is unlikely to be successful. They may even may even hinder, hinder long-term learning. So, use evidence-based methods. And if you are struggling with language, maybe you don't know how to break through B2 or B1 or C2, actually I'm talking about B2, but you can apply it to other common European framework of languages levels. So if you want to find out how to break through B2, how to be successful at language learning, how to be an unspoken person, Right. how to finally take control of your learning, please join my free masterclass. It's happening this Monday, 10 a.m. Eastern Canada time. It's free. There will be a prize draw. There will be slides and recordings will be delivered to your mailboxes after uh, 24 hours after the masterclass. So if you not have yet joined, please do. It will be very, very juicy and I cannot wait to meet you. Happy Friday, because I'm recording on Friday, or happy any other day. And talk to you soon. Bye.